what if it wasn't hitting the wall? What if the wall's there to support you? And just rethinking what the Ooh. wall even needs. Because sometimes we need a wall to rest on. And maybe we're at that place of just saying, instead of it's I'm hitting this wall, I'm coming up against a wall because I need a moment to rest. And in those moments thinking like, oh, if I'm hit, hitting the wall, meaning, oh, here's a wall telling me it's time to rest. What does that mean? What does that mean for my body? Does that mean I need to back off just a little, let off a little bit of the gas, slow down? Is there something I need to do for self-care? So whether it's that wall in the race or it's like burnout in life of hitting that wall, asking yourself like, oh, if I'm up against a wall, maybe it's because I need some support. What does that look like? And sometimes that, it's asking others for help. That could really be life-changing. Welcome to Power Up Your Performance, where we talk about how you can learn to think, feel, perform, and live like a champion. Hey, hey everyone, welcome to the show. I am so excited to have you here today. For those of you who are new here, my name is Kim Peek, and I help women use movement as a catalyst for change in their lives through this podcast and the coaching I do, which you can learn more about at www.crushingmygoals.com. I'm also a business growth strategist and the co-founder of Iris Digital Media Group, a social media marketing agency that helps solopreneurs and small businesses turn their products and passions into profits using our vision to visibility method. This strategy helps business owners go from invisible expert to impactful and profitable thought leader. You can learn more about the business solutions we provide at irisdigitalmediagroup.com. Today, I'm excited to introduce you to Becky Mullenkamp. Becky is an ICF certified life coach with hundreds of hours of experience, and she helps people learn to believe in and love themselves, let go of shoulds, and feel more confident and worthy. She's the host of the Gutsy Boss podcast, and she has a coaching community by the same name. What I loved about talking with Becky is that she doesn't take the typical life coach approach. Her views are refreshing. I'll read a little bit from her website to show you what I mean. Big and bold in the center of the homepage, she says, Your thoughts aren't trash. Your feelings aren't toxic. Failing to get rich isn't because you don't push enough or believe enough. If you're tired of coaches and gurus who make you feel worse about yourself, then you're in the right place. You can't just think yourself happy. Stress, fear, and overwhelm aren't mind trash or trolls. Your struggles aren't a personality defect. Your challenges aren't character flaws. Your problems aren't mental or moral shortcomings. There's nothing wrong with you, friend. So I'm going to tell you this. It was jam-packed with golden nuggets of wisdom. You are going to want to take notes while listening to this one, people. Becky drops as much knowledge, so much knowledge, in the first 10 minutes and you're going to find yourself wanting to listen on repeat until you have embedded her message into your brain. So let's listen to my interview with Becky. Welcome to the show, Becky. I'm so excited to talk to you today. Thanks for having me. So I'm going to jump right in. One of the things that you talk to people about is how we release the BS beliefs that are holding us back. So that all those thoughts about I'm not enough, so that you can achieve what it is you really want to in life. Can you tell us a little bit about what that means and what's a, an example of a belief that might be holding somebody back? 
Yeah. For me, it's really about helping women dismantle their own internalized patriarchal conditioning because we all live in a patriarchy, which this is nothing about like individual men or even men as a whole, but it's about living in a culture and in a society that where men currently, white men, hold most of the power when you look at government, money, all of those things. And because of that, from our very youngest ages, we are indoctrinated with all of these patriarchal beliefs that have to do not just with like about men being stronger or something, but down to things like performance and achievement. And that achievement needs to be our biggest aim and that we have to go out and be the best. And if you're not the best, then you're basically the worst. And so there's just all of these messages that we get from a very young age around achievement and performance and work, that work needs to be hard, right? If it's not hard, it doesn't count that like we don't deserve self-care that we need to put everyone else first and that taking care of yourself is selfish. All of those kinds of things are these things that we internalize from a really young age that we they're reinforced constantly, not to mention all the ones around how we're supposed to look and as we age, how that's all bad and wrong. And so all of that adds up to us really believing a lot of awful things about ourselves. And my work is all about helping women rebuild or build for the first time self-compassion, learning how to love themselves so that they can rebuild self-trust. And then with that, with self-compassion and self-trust, I think you're unstoppable. That's when, that's what confidence comes from. And so I like helping women come from that place of, instead of constantly judging ourselves, how can we just get curious with ourselves? Instead of always beating ourselves up, how can we lovingly help ourselves in any situation? Instead of pushing through, and I'm using quotes for people who can't see me because that is this common thing we have to push through. And it's interesting with running. There are times we need to push through, but how can we do that in a way that's loving, right? How can we do it in a way that feels good and safe, which I think is interesting. I know your audience isn't just about running, but when I think about when I was a runner, when I would have to push through that mile in the marathon, that was just like, I can't do this beating myself up and saying, you'll never get through this and you suck didn't work. What worked was for me to say, I got this. You can do this. Come on. We can do this one step in front, one foot in front of the other. It's when we become loving, but we don't do that in so many ways of our life and areas of our life. And the things that hold women back are like endless for a lot of women. It's around looks. I'm too old to do this. I'm not young enough to do this. I'm too young to do this. I'm not attractive enough to do this. I'm too big to do this. I'm too small to do this. I'm not all of those things that we learn. But it can also be just around like that work has to be hard. And so if it doesn't hard, then it doesn't count. Definitely with a lot of women, especially I think mothers and then mothers as they age and start to also then become grandmothers. It's about putting everyone else's needs first. And that's a big thing that holds people back from going after what they want. So my goal is to help people like let go of all of that and say, you know what? I don't have to buy into all of this conditioning. I get to opt out where I can, and I'm going to start making that choice. Wow. There were so many amazing things in there. I hope that the audience will stop and pause and rewind and really sit down to take some good notes on that because you really got into a lot of important topics there. Yeah, I like how you tied that back to running and the pushing through, because I think that is something that's really hard for people to understand. When do we push ourselves and what's the difference between pushing ourselves and how do we know when we need to be kind to ourselves and give ourselves a break? Do you have any 
clues that help people identify when's the right time or maybe you do it with love all of the time, but can you explain that a little bit more? Yeah. And that's the work I really love doing with people is helping people understand. I don't believe we should ever push through mm-hmm. because that indicates that we're doing something that doesn't feel good and that isn't safe. And for me, whether it's a physical thing or an emotional mental thing, it's about safety. So when we're running and we need to quote unquote, push through that next mile. What I would like to say is we want to get to the next mile. So, right. There has to be a want behind it. If there is not a want, then that's a really big sign that this is problematic. If it's a should, if it's, I should finish this race. Cause I signed up, I should do this because whether it's a, you know, running or not, when I feel like I should do something, that's a big sign that this is something that's maybe not going to be healthy and safe for you. But if it is a want, I want to get through this next mile, but it's feeling impossible. This feels so hard. It doesn't like, I'm not sure how to do this. It goes back to safety. And it's the same when it's an emotional hurdle or some other type of hurdle. If I really want to go after the bigger job, but I'm scared to like, will they even want me? Should I even bother to apply? It's too scary. Do I like put myself out there, even push through and put myself out there? Or do I not? Because why would they even want to hire me? So either scenario becomes about safety. So when it's running, when we have to, we want to get through this next mile, then we start to think, how do I do that in a way that's safe? which means I focus on breath. I release tension. When you're in those times, when you don't do that, if you say, when you start to resist internally and beat yourself up and say, I can't do this. This sucks. I might as well quit. Why did I ever sign up for this? I hate myself. That next mile becomes impossible (laughs) and it's torture and it becomes harmful to our bodies. We are doing more damage in those moments. So when we learn instead to say, okay, this is hard. I'm going to focus on my breath. I'm going to focus on one foot in front of the other, right? Small steps. I'm going to think about how can I get through this? I'm going to start listening to my music and not look at the horizon. Whatever the thing is that helps you, you start to think, how can I safely get through this next mile so that I don't hurt myself? And when we do that, then we get through and we can start to say, oh, man, it's actually been two miles and I'm suddenly feeling like good again. And what's going on? Because we went to that place of safety, And it's the same for that job and thinking about how can I do this in a way that feels safe? It doesn't mean it doesn't feel like a stretch. It doesn't mean that it's not uncomfortable. It's still uncomfortable and it's still a stretch, but it's how do you get to a place of internal safety? That might mean I'm taking smaller steps. Maybe I don't go after that job. I go to the middle, a job that's in between the one I'm in now and that one, because that feels like a stretch, but safe, not something that's going to make me feel awful. Or maybe it's that I do a whole bunch of research before I put in my application to make sure that it's really a good fit, but really thinking about how do I do things in a way that's safe? And that is compassion because normally we don't have that compassion for ourselves. We don't say, what do I need in this moment to feel good about this? We do the external of what does everyone else think I should do? What does everyone else want me to do? How will this look to others? And it's the same when we're racing. If you start worrying about like, how am I looking while I'm running to someone else? That's when you're going to trip and fall or you hurt yourself. It's about how, what do I need right now? And we are not trained as women to do that, to say, what do I need? What would feel good for me? And it really is a revolutionary act in the idea of saying, hey, we're dismantling patriarchy. But even if you're not into that, it's a revolutionary act because it's something that we have not been taught to do. And it actually can change your life for the better. And I like that idea of getting rid of the, even in a race, I can see somebody at mile 20 of a marathon, which is 26.2 miles. And People talk about how mile 20 
you just feel like you're hitting the wall and that sometimes happens and sometimes doesn't. It's 18 for me, but yes. Yes, exactly. But I like that because instead of, oh, I should do this. I need to do this. If you change the way you're talking to yourself, because thinking about what you should do is really filling your brain with a bunch of negative thoughts. So if, so I like where you're going with that, where if you talk about thinking about your breath, thinking about what you can do, I used to tell people to do a mental top to bottom check. How is my neck feel? How are my shoulders? Am I breathing? Am I thirsty? How do my legs feel? And by the time you've, what's my cadence? And by the time you've worked through all those things, you've taken control back again and you'll, you might realize that you feel better. Yeah. And what would feel good? We never ask that. We have not been taught that it's okay to ever say what feels good now. And even when you're in those things that are difficult and hard. So mile 20, your body's hurting. You're tired. You just want to be done with the thing. And so it's sometimes it can be hard to get into that place. But even in those toughest moments, if we could say what would feel good or what would make this feel better, even if we can't say feel good, right? So maybe it's, uh, this is so bad. And whether it's running or again, like grief, I've been through terrible grief too, whether, whatever it is, if we can't get to the place of saying, oh, nothing would feel good. This is so awful. It couldn't feel good. Then what would feel better? How could I love myself now? How can I better support myself now? How could I show myself more compassion? Those are great questions to be asking ourselves at any time, but especially when we're feeling like we're having those struggles. And I love that you said hitting the wall because someone recently said to me, and I loved it. What if it wasn't hitting the wall? What if the wall's there to support you? And just rethinking what the wall even means, because sometimes we need a wall (laughs) to rest on. And maybe we're at that place of just saying, instead of it's, I'm hitting this wall, I'm coming up against a wall because I need a moment to rest. And in those moments thinking like, oh, if I'm hitting the wall, meaning, oh, here's a wall telling me it's time to rest. What does that mean? What does that mean for my body? Does that mean I need to back off just a little, let off a little bit of the gas, slow down? Is there something I need to do for self-care? So whether it's that wall in the race or it's like burnout in life of hitting that wall, asking yourself like, oh, if I'm up against a wall, maybe it's because I need some support. What does that look like? And sometimes asking others for help. That could really be life-changing, I think, for people, whether they're talking about running and how they approach running or their job. And I want to talk a little bit about that too. Let's say somebody does feel like they're hitting a wall in their job. They're miserable in their job. What are some ways that they can show themselves love and compassion in that situation? Because not everybody has the ability to walk away from their job this minute in the middle of a pandemic. So when you're in that situation, how do you apply this? Yeah. And that's why I feel so firmly about bringing a different perspective to mindset coaching that I think is out there a lot, which a lot of it is either rooted in this sort of patriarchal thing of just push through, be strong, soldier on, like you can do it, muscle up, all of that kind of more bro thing, or the like love and light, it's all okay, think happy thoughts stuff, which Each of those has some merits at different times, but the problem is neither of them, in my mind, address reality, which is there are very real things that happen, as in there are very real times that we have to do work because of the money, because we've got to pay our bills and feed our kids. And that is noble and good. And we shouldn't be telling people that if they're doing things that they don't necessarily love, that there's something wrong with them. No, mm-hmm. there's nothing wrong with you. you have, that's okay. You're doing, you're actually doing a service. You're, that is a noble service to care for your family and make sure that they have food in their mouths. And we shouldn't be making people feel bad. So I think we need to address reality. There's also real things around sexism and racism, and all kinds of fat phobia and all sorts of other things that we 
that are outside of our physical control that we deal with. And so to say that we should just love and light it all away, or that we just need to push through and ignore the very real feelings we have is really harmful. So I just want to say that. No, I'm loving this. Keep going. And if you're in one of those situations where you are like, I don't want, this is miserable. And I've been there. I think it's, it can be helpful to start thinking about a plan, right? So we're looking to the future. And thinking, what do I want this to look like? And how could I get there in a way that works for me? Again, going back to safety in a way that's safe for me. Just because somebody else says you should quit your job tomorrow, that doesn't feel safe and it probably isn't safe. So we don't have to listen to those voices. Go within and ask yourself what feels safe. Does that mean setting a six-month or a one-year or a two-year sort of exit plan and building a new business or finding a new job? And what might that look like? Starting to map that out. When we start to have plans... some of the despair goes away, not all of it necessarily, but that does help to ease some of it because we feel like we have something to look forward to, something that we're working towards. And then while we're in that time, it can be helpful to ask ourselves again, what what could make this feel better? How could I treat myself better in this? That might mean setting boundaries around when you go to work, when you leave work, what you will and won't tolerate from coworkers or your bosses and how people speak to you. Also boundaries with yourself on how you will and won't show up each day, but setting some boundaries can be helpful. I also have found for me that in the times I've been in that situation, it could be helpful and it seems so simple, but just a really a reframe on what it means to have that be in that position. When I used to go to when and still when I go into something saying, Oh, I have to do this, I have to do this thing, I don't enjoy it. And it's miserable. And I am setting myself up for that expectation. When I go into it and say, not oh, this is gonna be great. Because I don't think it does any good to pretend that doesn't work, but instead to think, why am I doing this? So if I'm doing something just for the money, because I need that money to feed my family, then I can say to myself, I want this money. I want, not I need, not I have to, I want, I do. I want the money or I wouldn't be doing it. I want the money to feed my family. So I want this money. That means I want to do the work to get the money. And it seems simple, but for me, when I would sit down, because I used to be a writer, Um, for hire. And I did it for a longer time than I wanted to. And the transition into coaching took time because I don't care what they tell you. I'm not just going to suddenly quit. I'm not in that position financially to say, I'm just going to quit that thing. And just suddenly I'm going to be making all my money from coaching and a whole new business. Like it makes no sense. And I think it's so harmful. So Mm -hmm. I transitioned. I had a plan that helped me like, okay, here's my plan. This is how long I want to, I want this to take. Here are the milestones I'm going to try and hit far as income, client number of clients, and then I will slowly reduce the amount of writing. But it was a phased in approach so that I could do that in a way that it would still allow me to be my family. But when I had to sit down and do the writing work and I was like, oh, I would literally say out loud to myself, I want the money. So I want to do this. And it was a simple trick that really does start to help your brain shift how you feel when you sit down to do that work you don't like. But I think that alone isn't enough. I think we also need to be thinking about planning and then boundaries and other, and then also just like self-care. How do I take care of myself? When we are feeling that miserable, it is easy to fall out of tending to ourselves because we just don't feel good. And so getting focused again on how do I care for myself? And I don't just mean taking a bath, although that's lovely, but really thinking what are the things that really nourish me? So sometimes that means things that aren't as fun and indulgent, but actually help me. So that might mean eating foods that I know actually fuel me means exercising, even though I just want to sit on the couch because I'm sad. 
Not that you can't also sit on the couch and be sad, but that sometimes thinking about what would actually nourish me and keep me feeling like I have energy to do this thing that might be hard, because I think we let that go first sometimes. And so really thinking about true self-care, not just like getting your nails done, unless that does it for you, but what actually nourishes you and reignites your fire, gives you energy. I love that so much because I know that there are a lot of people in that situation right now. And I also love that you are not of the, I call it bro marketing camp, where it's quit your job, believe in yourself, all this, you're going to be a seven figure earner next month. I hate that because that's not reality for most people. And most people do have to have a plan to ease into it before they just go cold turkey. And let's also be honest. Yeah. Because, and guess what? If we're talking to women, let's be honest, a lot of those bro guys can say that because they have a wife at home who's taking care of their kids and helping them to make sure that they have that time. And that's not always the case, or they may be single dudes who don't have a family to feed, but very often they are not the ones that are in the position that women are in. And that, and it is so, it is not only like a disservice, it is harmful for those messages to stay out there and not be counteracted by anyone to say, yo, that's not okay. <laughs> what you're saying is not it's detached from reality and it's incredibly harmful because it's casting so much judgment from the outside onto us as women and not just women, a lot of people, but I think it affects women and certainly women of color even more. It's putting all this external judgment and then we're internalizing this and it's leading to so much shame. There's so much inter- like out external blame and then internal blame, which creates all the shame. And that is not helping anyone. So if you're stuck in that blamey, shamey cycle, I just want you to know you you don't have to be like, you can say, "Uh uh-uh, I'm not letting that happen. I'm not letting you win. I'm not letting you make me feel like shit crap about myself. I don't know if I can curse. (laughs) I'm not letting you make me feel bad about myself. Like I am going to say no to that because you don't have to buy into all of that stuff. And the same with the love and light, this whole, like, the, the crystal, the women out there with their crystals and who just tell you like manifest it and it'll happen and just think really hard. And if you believe it, then it will. And if you did, well, if you didn't get it, it's because you didn't believe it enough. And it's like, no, that's not, that's not realistic. That's not real. That's not how it works. Mm-hmm. They're not talking about all of the privilege that they already have baked into their lives. And it's just really unfair. This episode is sponsored by my company, Iris Digital Media Group. If you are a small business owner or a manager, and it's your responsibility to post to social media to promote your business, you are going to want to download my free content brainstorm workbook. Download the guide and never run out of content ideas again. In the guide, we'll walk you through the process of defining your customer avatar, learning what business you're really in, and helping you discover what you really want to be known for. And then we're going to share dozens of prompts to help you get your brainstorming started. Check it out at irisdigitalmediagroup.com forward slash content brainstorm. So I think this is also interesting. It ties back to what we're talking about. I read something recently that said that when applying for a new job or going after opportunities, men go for the stretch goal that Mm -hmm. They apply for things where they might not even be qualified. They just have that, I don't know, confidence or whatever to go for it. Maybe they're better at faking it. I don't know. But women will only go for something where, okay, yes, it asks for this and this skill. And yep, I checked all the boxes. I can apply for that. 
And so they don't reach for as high of goals as men do. Can you address that a little bit? Yeah, I think it's something like men only on average, only meet 50% of qualifications. It may have been a little more, but I think it's around 50%. Like they only feel like they have to reach 50% of what it says you need to apply for a job. And women, it's 100%. And it is not. And this is where I don't, these stories come out and I get a little tense around it because it is not our fault. And I don't, sometimes there's like this, why are you doing that women? What's wrong with you? And there's, it goes back to that blame and then shame space, which is not helpful and is wrong. There are reasons why, and it is because we are conditioned that way from our youngest ages as women. When we are girls, we come out of the womb being conditioned to believe that our needs come second, that we aren't, we don't, we cannot have what others can have. It's just look at the modeling. Who do you see? Who are the CEOs of all of the Fortune 500 companies, right? And for women, it is a small number. And if you are a woman of color, that number is almost nothing. And it is the same when we look at the halls of Congress, we look at the White House, thank God that's starting to change. But right. but historically, let's look at what you can't, they say you can't be what you can't see. And for most of us, that is the case because we don't have enough privilege to be able to say that I'm going to push beyond that. And there is no belief system, support system that's telling you, you can do that. So of course, women believe this is what we are conditioned to believe. Now that doesn't mean that we have to say, I guess that's just how it is. No, we get to say, I'm, I want to make a change here, but it takes a lot of internal work that we that doesn't get talked about. It takes a lot of this work of learning how to have self-compassion how to build self-trust. And our self-trust has been eroded. Most women come to me saying, I don't trust my own choices. I don't really trust myself here. I don't really know if I'm making the right decision. We have no internal trust. It's been eroded over our lifetimes because of all of these things that happen where we are put in a position of needing to second guess ourselves, feeling like we must second guess ourselves, not loving ourselves, not being compassionate to ourselves. And we erode all self-trust. So learning how to be self-compassionate, to build self-trust, and I really do think that is the key that having the confidence that then says, yeah, I'll go after the job if I only have 50% of the qualifications because I know the mediocre white guy would too. Yeah, that's so true. And then how do you start to get past that fear to s- speak up, use your voice, go for those opportunities? We've been talking about that, I think, the whole time, but what would be that first step if you know that? Let's say you do want to start a business and you need to be posting on LinkedIn maybe or Instagram to start letting your previous business connections know about your business or whatever, but you're so intimidated and worried about what somebody else is going to say. What's that first step that you take to get past that? The work I do with people involves a lot of figuring out what those patterns are about because these, again, this stuff goes back to your childhood and to the earliest things that we learn. And then we create patterns that we're repeating throughout life. So when somebody is afraid to speak out, it is almost never about what's going on in this moment. It really fundamentally has nothing to do with, oh, I'm afraid that the people on LinkedIn might say something or judge me. It's about some other feeling of judgment that goes way back. And it's about not being safe. Those moments when we didn't feel safe when we were young, because maybe you were bullied and then you learned that it's not safe to speak up because kids will throw things at you or whatever that looked like. And it's these things are still going on. I work with people to do a lot of digging and uncovering patterns because you can't change what you can't see. And we can't change those patterns until we recognize them for what they are. And usually once people start to see what the patterns are really about, 
it becomes harder in that moment to believe the stories that your brain is telling you because your brain's telling you, oh no, posting on LinkedIn, that's very scary. Like that's bad. We can't do that because whatever the brain's telling you, my mom might see it and think that I'm crazy. And we're just buying that as like a fact. And so we just don't do it. So once we start to learn like what's really going on, it becomes harder to believe whatever the story is your brain is telling you. And so then you get into the sort of crisis of, I can't believe that anymore. This is the truth. Am I still going to act the same way knowing this truth, which is usually, oh, so this is really still about me feeling like I did in seventh grade. (laughs) Do I really want to not act like that? Just having that knowledge starts to change things for people. But that takes a lot of work. So the first step for people who aren't really like digging in right now, doing this level of mindset work and with somebody who like a coach or even going through some DIY, I have a membership where people can do it more of a DIY model. But if you're not doing all that, then I would just say the main thing I want people to take away from this is no matter what it is, if it's posting on LinkedIn or going for that, like trying to go back and get off the couch and do that couch to 5k or whatever the thing is, whatever the thing is saying to you, I can't do it. Ask yourself, what's the most loving thing I can do for myself right now? Truly just make that your new question at every moment throughout your day. It sounds simple, but it really is for most people like truly revolutionary. They don't do, we don't do it. People have gone their whole lives without asking themselves ever, what do I want right now? It is always about what does somebody else want? And then if they do say, what do I want? Their brain immediately goes into, but what will they say? It goes into that external. Mm -hmm. I want you to go internal and just constantly be like, what do I want right now? What do I want? So like today I'm just sitting here. What do I want? Well, you know what I actually think I want? I want to go turn the heat up because it's a little cold in here. So I think I'm going (laughs) to like, but I wouldn't do it because I might otherwise be thinking like, oh, but what if my, what about my husband? He might want it a little cooler. Or what if the heating bill goes up? We're just always worried about everyone else and all these other things. Think about yourself and just start taking actions that feel good for you. And so that may mean on LinkedIn that today you think, what do I want? I, I want to post, but also I don't feel safe to do that yet. It doesn't feel good internally. So I don't want to. So don't. Or maybe you think like, I want to post on Facebook, I want to post on LinkedIn, but I don't want to say that I'm looking for a job that feels too big, but maybe I'll like just post something about, oh, did I mention that I won this award or that whatever it is, some other smaller share, different kind of share that feels good. So constantly just asking what would feel good right now, or what's the most loving thing I can do for myself right now. That is such great advice. Now, did you have something that happened to you? One of those pivotal moments that made you decide you were going to go into this kind of life coaching or business coaching, or is it just something that kind of evolved? Both, but I st- I had in 2010, which I can't believe is now 11 years ago. It's crazy, <laughs> which it really doesn't feel that long ago. But in 2010, in like the space of six months, I was going, getting ready to go through a divorce. And then my brother died of a heroin overdose two months after my grandmother died. So my mom lost her mom and her son and like the space of two months, I lost my brother and my grandma. And then that was like the push to say, no, this marriage really is ending. So then my marriage ended. And because of the marriage ending, and because it was on the heels of the 08 recession, my business was collapsing. And those things all combined to me then being in a very bad financial situation, which happens to a lot of people post-divorce. So then I had to leave my beautiful home and my life that I had built that was like flush with cash, which was really nice because didn't have kids. Both had really great jobs, making a lot of money. So everything crumbled in my life in the space of six months. And then I went into a two-year depression slash denial of all of it. And then I started really rebuilding my life in 2012, 2013. And that was when it was like, what do I want to do? Because I didn't want to write. I had been, what I really realized through all that was I was living a life of shoulds, of external pressure of performance. It was a performative life. It was like, what do people think I should do? Oh, I should get married. Okay. Let's get married. I remember a friend asking me, why are you getting married? And my answer was, well, we're supposed to, that's not the answer. 
go to college, you get married, you have your first baby within so many months, right? Yeah. Hint, that's not the right answer. The the correct answer is not, well, because we're supposed to. No, it should be because like, I really loved him and I want to build a life together. That anyway. So a recognition of living a life of shoulds and then like really going through a lot of work first to deal with all the grief and then to say, what do I want my life to be? How do I make this happen? And a long transition, living with my mom at 37 years old. So that's a you know humbling time. Ultimately, really good for both of us, helped us both through that grieving. And then coming out of it and saying, what does this look like? And then it was an evolution. So it was like one big moment of a defining moment of, I don't want this life anymore. But then it's like, what is it? And so I knew I wanted to help women. That was all I really knew is I wanted to help other women because I was coming to this place of realizing like, hey, we don't have to accept less than we want. And we don't have to just do what we think we should. We don't have to be good girls. And, but I didn't know what that meant. So started being like a personal trainer was where I was headed. I was doing at that time, a lot of running. Running is what really helped me through my grief, feet to pavement. And that pounding it out was how I dealt with grief. So I am forever grateful for running for that. And so I really wanted to help in that way. Eh, that didn't ultimately didn't feel like the right thing. It didn't feel like it ended up feeling like, Oh, I'm helping people what feel skinny or something. And that didn't feel right for me at the time. I see now how maybe I could have done it in a way that would have been healthier. But, and then I moved into like business coaching. Cause I'd run a business for a long time. That was like a six figure business. And then I was like, I don't know enough about Facebook marketing to be telling people what to do. <laughs> and so then that's where eventually that led into, Oh, what is, what would this like my, like when I heard mindset coaching was the thing, I'm like, what? That's a thing. And now I'm like, holy crap, this was my calling. This was it all along. I just, it took me a while to get here. And now I couldn't be like more happy with what I do. I love that. Such a great story about how you came to it, because I think it shows too, that you really understand a lot of the different places that people can be coming from when they come to work with you. Now tell everybody what kind of coaching you offer and where to find you and how they can work with you. Yeah. I do one-on-one coaching with people who are ready to really do the like digging in big time and want that intense one-on-one kind of relationship with accountability and everything. And then I have a membership called the Gutsy Boss Club. My business is the Gutsy Boss. It is not just for business owners. The word boss is there because I also think we can be the boss of our own life, the boss of our career. It is about us feeling like we are showing up in charge of our lives and having the courage to do that. So I also like gutsy because one, it speaks to courage, but it also speaks to gut, which I'm a big advocate for intuition and us learning how to listen to our inner knowing. So anyway, Gutsy Boss Club is a membership where you get some live group calls with me and the members. Every every other week we do group calls. There's an incredibly supportive community. And then there's access to my signature program, which is like everything I teach a hundred plus page workbook of journaling of things to help you do the deeper digging. And it's a DIY study that on your own, but then you have that support of calls with me and the community to keep you in it and keep you doing it and making sure that you sustain the work. A lot of people in the membership are my former clients. They transition out of one-on-one and into the membership where they can have that ongoing support because guess what? We go back into our lives and the same messaging, we are inundated. As soon as you turn that TV on, you look at Facebook, you're getting one out after another telling you all the reasons you're wrong, that you're broken, that you need to be fixed. And so it's helpful to stay in a community or in a place where you get that ongoing support to remind you that you are not broken. There's nothing wrong with you. In fact, you are inherently amazing. Yes. And I think that a membership like that would be really helpful just right now with people, we're lacking community. People can't, you're not making new friends. We need those connections. And I think that just with the way the news has been, 
we have negative messaging just coming at us from all directions. So that seems to me like it would be a nice, safe, supportive place to do some mindset work and then also maybe meet some people who can help lift you up. Yeah, we have women of all walks of life from early 20s to into their 50s, maybe even 60s. And women of, we have black women, brown women, white women. We have, you know, women who have their own businesses, women who are in traditional careers, women are executives. So it's really nice because it's not about who you are. It's about what you're trying to do. And the one tying thread amongst all of them is they are all committed to this to saying, I want to learn to love myself. I want to sustain that love for myself. I want to rebuild trust in myself. And I want to feel confident because of that. And so having a group of women that you know, and everyone agrees when they join this membership also that they are not racist, not homophobic, not not sexist, not fat phobic, not jerks. You're in a community of people who are going to really support you and that you share that you're like-minded and you're all trying to do the same thing. I love watching them support each other. Like that really is my love language, I think, because that's what really gets me excited. I love my one-on-one coaching a lot too, but watching these women be there and support each other, it makes me so happy because it feels like this is it. This is, let's create these sisterhoods to help dismantle all of the stuff to say, we're going to bond together and say, Hey, we're not letting all of that messaging stop us anymore. This has been really fascinating to me. Just listening to you throughout this whole conversation, the way you have reframed so many things that I think are fairly common thoughts, thought patterns. So I am going to love hearing some feedback from the listeners on this one. And I hope that many of them go to your program or get some coaching from you. Cause I think, yeah. I think that you have a nice, fresh approach. Is there anything that I didn't ask you that you want to make sure that the audience knows? No, but I did forget to say beckymollencamp.com. So that's where you can find me and everything is on the homepage, the one-on-one coaching and the membership. No, the thing I'm most proud of that I've recently recorded was my, cause I have a podcast called the gutsy boss. No surprise there. It's all gutsy boss. And I did an episode. I think it's aired. that was just, you're not broken. And I, I really mean it. I just, there's so much messaging that we get all the time about all the things that are wrong with us. And I have women say to me, I just want to fix this. I just want to fix myself. I just, I feel like, why can't I figure this out? I feel so broken or whatever. And it's no, you are not broken and there is nothing wrong with you. And you are amazing exactly as you are. And it's the world and the messaging around you that's broken, but you are not broken. Now, does that not mean that we can't try to improve and have things that are even better? Sure, of course we can. But to me, the core work is getting to a place of understanding that without anything else, and in this very moment, you are not broken. You are inherently worthy. You are inherently powerful. You are inherently amazing. And learning to be able to get to that place, because once you have that, then boy, oh boy, are you unstoppable? Because then all the other stuff is amazing and extra, but you're great no matter what. So that external stuff doesn't hurt you anymore. That is fabulous. Thank you so much for being on the show today. It's been great talking to you. Thank you for having me. I love this. Thank you for taking time out of your day to listen. I'm coach Kim Peak of Power of Run, and you can find me at www.crushingmygoals.com. Dot com or on all social media as at sign power of run. If you liked this episode, be sure to give the podcast some love over on iTunes and remember to subscribe as a new podcast. Your reviews and stars and subscribes will help me grow the audience so that I can share my love 
of health and fitness and bring more experts to the show. Power up your week and I will catch you next Tuesday.